today, I'm going to walk you through what I have just felt from the Lord for a two-week focus. I'm going to take a little different approach to a um, fairly obvious topic. And I'm a little reluctant to tell you the topic right up front just because uh, you get in your mind a certain element. And I want us to walk through a little bit of an understanding of what this really is about. So um, let's just pause for a moment and pray together. How many of you will allow God to go uh, into the mechanism and the wiring of your life and to tamper with some things that might be deeply seated in the person that you are? I'm just going to tell you right now with what I want to talk about in these two weeks, God wants to deal with some things that perhaps most of us in the room don't even realize exist. It's a very significant, very significant two weeks for us. So Lord, I just want to start by, uh, as a mouthpiece this morning, to facilitate that we would hear, Lord, really the heart of what you're desiring to speak. I want to start with my own heart. And I just want to invite you, Lord, to do in me whatever you desire to do. Extract from me, Lord, whatever you desire to extract. I pray, Father, you would expose in me whatever, whatever needs to be exposed. And I pray that, Lord, for our entire church family. I just want to stand at the front of the line and say, Lord, I'm imperfect. And I need you. I need your love. I need your life. And I need your grace to awaken in me everything, Lord, you've called me to be. And I pray, Father, that each of us would bring our hearts into that posture before you. And we would just allow you to have your way. None of us have this all figured out. We are all on a journey just trying to find our way. So do a deep work within us to cause us to become the family, the men and women of God as a family, Lord, that you've called us to be. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So I want you to think about this very important question. Which disciple betrayed Jesus? I have... In preparation for today, I asked dozens of people this question now. So far, every person I've asked has said probably what you're thinking, Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus. But there was another disciple who betrayed Jesus. His name was Peter. They had two very different conclusions of life. And the reason they had two very different conclusions, and I want you to think about it, is because one never recovered from their mistake while the other allowed God to do a work within his soul to cause him to become more than he ever thought he could become, God never took his eye off of Peter when he betrayed Jesus to have him as the, the one that would deliver the introductory address, the inaugural address of the birth of the New Testament church. Just because Peter made a mistake didn't disqualify him from being used mightily by God. And what I'm going to talk to you about today is forgiveness. And I want you to understand something. That which is in your heart that is so locked up because you've not been able to forgive yourself becomes the origin of that which perpetuates unforgiveness and judgmental attitudes into the lives of other people. It is so important that we understand in this season that we're fully known by God and we're fully loved by God. 
And I believe that there are some things, you know, as we're entering into this revelation and reckoning, isn't it powerful that he who knows us the best loves us the most? He knows everything about you, and he loves you so completely. But I am convinced that few of us in the room truly believe what I'm saying to be accurate and true. I believe that we ascribe to that. I believe we align in that direction. But believing something actually allows it to shape the core of our expression of our existence. Believing, I mean, do you really believe you are fully known and fully loved by God? Because the mistakes you've made in your past are a key that either uh, you get past them to unlock your destiny or they keep the, the door locked and nothing gets in or out. There are certain places in your life, in your call, in your journey that you will never go if you don't learn to do these very important words I'm about to say, forgive yourself. Peter and Judas See, here's the thing. Write it in if you would. If you didn't get your notebooks from the side, grab those and, and write down some notes and rehearse these important ideas. Your mistakes do not have the power to take you down. They don't. Only your response to your mistakes have the power to take you down, hold you back, destroy your life. So I want to just say today, make sure you are responding well, I believe as I was praying and asking the Lord about today, he was saying that there are unknown skeletons in many of our closets. Do you understand you're fully capable of deceiving yourself? You, you do realize you and I are created by Trinity God, community God, in the image of community God, born from community, born for community, and outside of community, we're completely capable of convincing ourselves of whatever deception we've decided to believe. It is really important that other people are looking in on our lives, helping us see more correctly. And I believe God's going to deal today with some unknown skeletons in our closet. So let's take a look at where we've been and why these particular verses are so important. 1 John 3.16. We're, we're making 1 John 3.16 as famous in our minds as John 3.16. We know God loved the world, gave his son. First, that, that's John 3.16. 1 John 3.16 says God did this for us so that we then will do it for others. It's a great continuation of that revelation. 1 John 3.16, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and our sisters. Do you understand his love for you perpetuates your love for others. Do you understand his love for you is the origin of your ability to provide your love for others? Do you understand if you don't fully cooperate with his love because you don't forgive yourself, then you cannot fully cooperate with the expression of that love into the lives of others. The less you love you, the more you judge me. Love God, love others as you, can you say it with me, as you love yourself. I love the, the living Bible in this verse says, dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. How many of you have felt guilty before and it hindered your prayers? Can I just see? 
Well, sure, like you feel guilty and you don't even feel capable of praying. You feel guilty, you say, like what right do I have to step into the presence of God and, and ask this request and make this petition? Listen, that is the enemy convincing you that the kingdom of God cannot expand through you. You're allowing your mistakes to hinder God's kingdom from expanding through your surrendered available life. Climb up on the cross, stretch your arms out, die to yourself. There are a whole lot of people that are waiting to come alive when you come out of the grave and that's exactly what God has called us to do. Come out! He fully sees you, he fully knows you, yet he fully loves you, and that will change your life. It unlocks, up, it unlocks something for you in your life, not only for you, but for those around you. Not knowing God's love locks something up for you, and not only you, but for those around you. Are we all on the same page? <laughs> Pretty important groundwork. Okay, so last week we talked about this, and it was really a good analogy. I want to reiterate it for you. Um, you come home, and the dog is happy to see you, right? The dog is bouncing around. The master is home. Joy abounds. Yelping, barking abounds. And then you walk into the room where the mistake has been made, and the the, the tissue boxes chewed up, and there's toilet paper all over the floor. And how many of you know all joy goes out of the room? All the joy that dog had for the master is now completely gone, and all joys, the tail is not wagging. In fact, the dog won't even look at you face down, won't look, won't pay attention, and the enemy wants to take whatever you chewed up and wave it in your face to keep you from making eye contact with the loving master who actually wants to redeem you from the mistake that you just made. It's a beautiful picture, and let's just watch firsthand. Okay, which one of you made the mess with this paper? Who did this? Who, who tore up the Kleenex? Gnarly. 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 Did you do that? Did you do this right here? Who tore that Kleenex up? Casey, Casey, did you tear the Kleenex up? Hey, Casey, Casey, did you do that? I think you did. <laughs> Come here, Casey. Come here. Come here. God wants to take the box off your face today. I just want you to know. <laughs> he really does want to take that box. What, what happened? The dog had to come to the master to get the box removed. This is the attitude that we have. I'm not worthy of your love because of the mistake I made. I'm just going to spend the rest of my life not being able to see correctly with my face shoved in this box. The Holy Spirit is doing a work in you right now. You're not here for a little pep talk. I didn't come together with my best speech. I want to be cooperative with the power of God at work within the people of God to cause us to really get past some of the things that the enemy has used as tools to hold us back. 
when you enter into this frame of mind, you're not your best for others. You're not the best for your friends. You're not the best if you're married in your marriage. You're not the best. When you enter in this frame of mind of guilt and shame, the inclination is to... Everybody doing all right? I just really feel like God's doing a deeper work than my words right now. The inclination of guilt and shame is that we move into a place of more readily taking note of the mistakes other people make. The inclination of our own guilt and shame is we highlight somebody else's mistakes to get the onus off of us. So we start to become more judgmental, less forgiving. I, I just want you to know, some of you in this room are high achievers in your life, and you feel like for some reason you haven't measured up. And when you allow yourself to live a life that feels like you've never measured up, you perpetuate the origin of that which passes judgment in the lives of other people, not even realizing you're not doing it because they didn't measure up. You're doing it because you bought the lie and that you don't measure up, and you do. Come on, clap that in with me. Let's just hiss the enemy away. We disagree. God's Word has home field advantage in this house. We're declaring God's Word has home field advantage here. Our problems don't have home field advantage. Our condemnation and guilt, it does not have home field advantage. God's Word has home field advantage in this place. The attitude is, well, at least I'm not that bad, so I can feel better about me. I read this report, it was really interesting, this study, and they, they got groups of people together, and they asked them, and I want you to think about, could you do this? They gave them a piece of paper and a pen, and they said, number your paper from one to 10. How many of you can do that? Okay, good, just making sure we all can count to 10, write it down. Uh, number a paper from one to 10, and then they said, uh, as quickly as possible, write down 10 names of people you simply do not like. Now, don't raise your hand, but again, don't, don't answer this question. Just hear the question, how many of you could do that? And it was interesting because what the study showed was those that quickly wrote down 10 names of people they simply did not like were not liked by their peers. And those that took a long time and even came up with incomplete lists they were liked by their peers. Do you see a pattern here? The more judgmental and harsh and unloving and unkind we are, the, the more we uh, project that into the lives of people around us, and the more that causes us then to be estranged from true love in the lives of those that God has entrusted to our care. Uh, all I'm saying is the way you relate to God directly impacts the way you relate to others. So God's paving a way for us to get the picture of some of the hidden skeletons that are existing in your closet. Let me just ask this question. How many of you right now admit, okay, I'm sensing we're going into a space in my life where some things exist that need to be addressed, and I didn't know that before. Raise your hand if that's you. I just want to see 
lots of hands over every section here. God's just wanting to do something where he illuminates that in our lives. So I want you now, now I'm going to talk to you about forgiveness. That was the groundwork and context to get us to this place. I want you to see something so powerful. Matthew chapter 6. If I were just doing a message on forgiveness, this is where I would have started. But if I'm cooperating with what God's desiring to do, it takes a little while to get to the point where we're ready to receive the power of God's word deep within the soil of our lives to uproot the weeds and make us stronger deep down in who he's called us to be. Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. First and foremost, do you get it? Prayer begins with a healthy relationship with God as your Abba, intimate Father who loves you and has forgiven you. That's where it begins. If you don't understand that, then you feel like you don't have the right to come into his presence. So you've got to get this. You're fully known. You're fully loved. Jesus said, if you're going to pray, you've got to start there. Then he goes and says, your kingdom come, God. Your will be done. How? On earth as it is in heaven. Our goal is not to get you to pray a prayer so that you can go to heaven. Our goal is to inspire and empower you to be the kingdom of God in the earth as it is in heaven. Where you and I go, we express God's kingdom everywhere we go. We don't produce chaos and disorder. We produce harmony and strength and life and joy and peace, healing. That's who we are. How do we do that? Because we know God and we're, uh, intimacy is being born from our connection to him. Daniel 11 says, those who know their God. How many of you know your God? Those who know their God, they will be strong and they will do great exploits. Born out of hallowed be your name. Father, you're my intimate father. Your kingdom is being established through my surrendered available life. Give us this day our daily bread. He's saying provision belongs to you in Jesus' mighty name. And forgive us our debts. How many of you like that part? Forgive me, Lord. How many of you like that? I like that. Here's where some hidden skeletons are. If you read this, you'll understand what Jesus said is when you pray about forgiveness, pray it this way. Don't forgive me if I don't forgive others. Huh. This key unlocks a big door. Not using this key keeps the door locked. Forgive us our debts as we Forgive our debtors. Forgive us as we forgive others. Forgive us simultaneously as we forgive others. How many of you have ever been done wrong? How many of you have been done wrong real bad? How many of you were in a wretched state when Jesus found you? (laughs) And a mountain of grace met your mountain of sin. Aren't you glad for a mountain of of grace? Come on, let's celebrate a mountain of grace that met a mountain of sin in our lives. I am so thankful. I am so thankful for a mountain of grace that met a mountain of sin. Now I want you, will you celebrate the same? A mountain of grace met a mountain of sin and brought with it a mountain of responsibility. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those that have molested us as we forgive those that have done us wrong, as we forgive those who have done unthinkable things that I'm justified in holding on to. They should have never done that. I've got at least five friends that I've gossiped, I mean told about. 
and I have all of them on my side, and that person was wrong, and they do not deserve my forgiveness, therefore I will refuse to receive forgiveness from God. I'll stay justified in my little place without forgiveness from him. Interestingly, the next thing is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You want to be strong in the face of temptation. Be healthy in your relationship with Abba Father God. Declare his kingdom is coming. Be forgiving as God has forgiven you, and you'll be stronger in your faith, in your walk with God. And then it goes on and says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I don't know if you realize it or not, but Jesus only reiterated one portion of the Lord's Prayer. Did you catch that? Like the Lord's Prayer was over and now we're talking about forgiveness. Why is that? Because Jesus chose to reiterate the very thing that would lock up the kingdom of heaven from being in your heart when you choose to not let go of the offense if people have caused in your life. How many of you don't want to live outside of God's love, grace, and forgiveness? I want to live right in the middle of God's grace, love, and Therefore, I better be gracious, loving, and forgiving. I said the statement already. A mountain of grace meant a mountain of sin and brought with it a mountain of responsibility. When we experience his grace freely, we express his grace liberally. So I want to talk to you about these two words then, kind of on the landing strip, binding and loosing. And I want to show you something in Scripture that I think is really unique. Um, Matthew 16 and Matthew 18, we find these words being used in these two portions of Scripture. Matthew 16, 19 says, I will give you the keys to, to the kingdom of heaven. Everybody please say keys. I will, it's important that you understand the, the concept of keys with this, okay? I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What do we use keys to do, to do with a door? We unlock a door or we lock a door. So we're talking about keys that lock and unlock in the context of this particular scripture. And, and many times we use this verse, the next portion of the verse, and we don't really bring it into the proper context of what we're saying because we're binding the devil and we're loosing the blessing and, and we're not necessarily understanding the comprehensive expression of what God was revealing, even though I believe in binding the enemy and I just silence the enemy in this room right now in Jesus' mighty name from bringing any type of distraction from your life that you might hear with clarity what God desires for you to hear. I mean, you know, I'm standing in the authority of the cross of Jesus Christ right now. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Matthew 18, we read these same, the same terminology, uh, Matthew 18, 18, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, it's interesting to me, that which is bound and loosed in heaven is born from that which is bound and loosed in earth. You, are you following all of this? 
I, I love it, and, and it just speaks of the context, again, of this Matthew 18. If you read it and you go on, and you should this week, just take some time with the entire chapter, but it goes on to explain the power of unity and agreement. If two agree on earth, it'll be done. Right after it's talking about binding, loosing, locking, unlocking keys that we possess, and then the very next thing Peter talks about out of this is forgiveness. He says, how many times should we forgive? Do you think there might be a correlation? Just, just everybody do this. Okay, There is a total correlation to keys that lock and unlock, and that which in heaven that is locked up because you have locked it up on earth. And that which is loosed in heaven is unlocked because you have unlocked it on earth. And when you hold resentment and unforgiveness as justified as you may be, you have taken a supernatural key that God has given you and you have locked up heaven like an ironclad covering that none of the blessings of God, none of the grace of God, hear me please, not even the forgiveness of God can get through that. Ah. I want to just say today, and I want you to hear it with the ears that God has given you to hear it with spiritually speaking. The gates of hell will never prevail against the supernaturally empowered church. The gates of hell will never prevail. Your worship right now is declaring the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. That tells me hell has gates, but we have keys. I mean, that's just ridiculously profound, wonderful, Amazing, liberating, inspiring. I don't care how intimidating the gates are. Have you ever seen like massive gates? There's no way you're going to get through these gates. I mean, I've seen some very intimidating structures where you clearly are being communicated to just by looking at the gates. There is no entry there without permission. And every single time I've ever seen any gates open anywhere, it doesn't happen because of this big struggle with these huge gates. It happens with a little bitty key. Little bitty key. Uh-uh-uh. Well, Lord, I don't even know where to go from here but I believe I've brought what I'm supposed to bring would you just stand let's just stand in his presence empowered and equipped with keys that Jesus died that we might possess
Spirit. Hidden skeletons brought to light. Won't you just lift both your hands? God wants to heal you right now. Hidden skeletons brought to light. Things that you maybe even justified that they were there. God just says he's bringing healing. Healing. There are places he wants to take us, but some places are just locked up. Sometimes we're wondering why God is not unlocking those things when he's actually given us the key and we're standing at the gate which with which we have the key to unlock. We're waiting on God, and God's waiting on us. So we just surrender those unknown skeletons. What are those things that suddenly come to life? I just thank you, Lord, for hands all across this place representing freedom that is entering into our lives on levels, deeper levels than what we have even known or understood. We invite you in, oh God. We invite you in. We invite you into deeper places. We invite you, Lord, to speak to our hearts, to stir us. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Come on, I just say, while you're standing there with your hands lifted, not only does God bring healing to you, but he begins to release wellness to your legacy. He begins to release something. As it was in the days of Moses, when Moses stood with his hands held high, and a champion spirit came upon those that he had been leading, those that he had been influencing, those that had had the spirit of Moses, the Bible even says, resting upon them. I say today, as we stand here with our hands held high, we are declaring that we are justified and forgiven in Christ, and we forgive others, and then that releases those around us, our sons, our daughters, our sons and daughters in the faith, our next generation leaders. We will not perpetuate our and our anger and our frustration and our disappointment into the lives of other people. We will not allow poison and toxins that exist within our soul to get into their lives. We deal with them now as we surrender them to the cross of Jesus Christ. We say we have no right to hang on to any poison and we let it all go in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, amen.